Mark chapter 8. Uh, we'll be in uh, verse 22 to start off here. The uh, I think you probably know this. Uh, um, if you don't, you will after I tell you. Um, the chapters and the verses were not in the original text. Um, they're put in over a thousand years later as a help. Um, so, And sometimes they are quite helpful. They were right there, right? I didn't have to tell you to kind of go, well, about... 40% through Mark, you know, where the healing of the blind man is. I could just tell you 822 and you could get there. But, but be careful of the verses because they can, it makes it easy to take things out of context. Um, and sometimes we do that because we're ignorant and sometimes we can do that because we're trying to be deceptive. I don't know which one, but don't want to take it out of context. What is going on in each of these little bit... Uh, harder to do that in, in a gospel than it is in one of the letters, but it still can, sometimes people latch on one verse, and, and sometimes we, we make different meanings that really aren't in the text, so, so we come to a healing of, of, a, of a blind man, and they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to home to the village saying, do not enter the village. So... This particular miracle, and, and I mentioned this last week, the miracles just, you can do this. I have done it. It's kind of, I thought it was fun. You went through every miracle in all the Gospels and then wrote down similarities and differences. And I thought, well, I'm going to come up with kind of a, you know, a way to do this. You know, not that I could, but if I was going to. Um, but uh, they're just, you can't get, uh, something changes on almost every one of them. Something a little different. And this one is quite unique. He takes the man away from the crowd. You know, he does this differently than we might do it. You know, it's like, well, if I'm going to do a miracle, it'd be nice if people saw it, right? You know, get more donations that way, right? Yeah. Um, doesn't look like he's looking for donations, does it? He takes him, he does this kind of in secret. Um, it's, it's supposed to be a personal encounter. Uh, and the healing's in two parts. This is different. Every other miracle, I'm pretty sure, and again, I always say, you can always check the source material and tell me if I'm wrong, but as far as I can remember, every other miracle is boom. This one has, and it doesn't look like it's a long time. There's a few minutes apart. And so you, you kind of try to figure out why. It's in two stages. Um, and I'm wondering if it's an analogy. We'll hit that a little bit later, an acted out analogy, uh, the way he does it, but it's this two-stage healing, which is kind of, because at first he kind of just sees trees walking, which is an interesting thing to say, isn't it? I mean, I'm trying to picture that right now, trees walking. For some reason, it makes me think of Fantasia, but that's another, were there trees walking in that? I don't know, that's an old movie, but, uh, but one wonders if maybe he had seen before, uh, and then he became blind, uh, but it says, um, they just brought to him a blind man. It didn't say, but, uh, and then he instructs him to don't, don't even enter the village. I mean, think about this. Jesus comes, a guy's been blind, cannot see anything. He heals him in two stages pretty quick. He does it so nobody else can tell, and then he tells the guy not to tell anybody. 
it, it just seems kind of like an odd request, doesn't it? Uh, it's probably in, in earlier he when his fir- one of his first miracles in Mark, he he did the same thing. He said, "See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them." So you, you know maybe he said the same thing. Don't go into the village. Go and go to the synagogue. Get this done, and then. Uh, then you can go on. But it, 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 this idea of not telling people, is it sits there over and over again. Um, and the, the thing that we have talked about is the reason, you have, to, you have to decide what are the reason for the miracles. What is the primary reason for the miracles? I mean, secondarily, I think the reason for this miracle is this guy was blind and now he can see. So compassion and power, that's certainly part of it. But that's not the main thing, and we, you, you, you have to do that. Why is he doing this? Well, we, we, we're finding out he's, he's showing who he is. He's showing his power. But there's still a problem with knowing, and we're going to see this in the next scene. Um, if you read through the Gospels, and I, would, you know, I, I know you all guys always want a, uh, you know, an assignment each week, so here you go. You got Monday off, right? So you should be able to do this. I mean, if you just read through the Gospel of Mark, and you, you get a bit of better cadence for it. Again, it's the, it's the chapter verse problem sometimes. It doesn't take, you could probably through, go through the Gospel of Mark, if you read slow in maybe an hour and a half, um, and that, after watching some football, that's like a quarter uh, all the commercials. You don't even have to stop and have, you know, the referees figure out if this verse was in bounds or out of bounds. You can just keep going. It's much faster. But get a feel for it. And you start getting that feel of why he's doing this. It's the same thing we've been talking about. He's showing who he is, right? He's showing these guys who he is and who was promised all along. So they come up and they're, they're going to go to a, another place. Um, they go to Caesarea Philippi, which is kind of a cool name it says that Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? It's interesting that he asked that question after he healed this guy and told him not to tell anybody. might just be that they make related. Um, and they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ, and this seems to be a theme for the day. And he strictly charged them not to, t- to tell no one about him. Now, here is a perfect example of, 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 of a contemporary way to take a verse out of context. What if we just preached on this verse? So here we are, folks. We just had communion. You have access, but don't tell anybody. I mean, you could get that, couldn't you? It's like, well, don't tell anybody about Jesus. That's just what he said right there in verse 30. Contextually, who's he telling not to tell anybody? Well, he's telling them. Are you them? Am I them? It's always good to know the pronouns in any literature, especially the Bible. Well, who's them here? Is this thing on? Yeah, I'm just, yeah, I forgot. We don't have enough Baptists in here. Um, you're supposed to say amen. No, I'm just kidding. You, yeah. But, you know, this is, he says, it is, he went on with his disciples. His disciples are them. He's telling them not to tell anybody. Well, what are they doing in Caesarea Philippi in the first place? It's 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. 
It's the center of, of had been the center of pagan worship in you know in the old covenant, uh, of Baal, which becomes a very important uh, Canaanite deity, and then of the Greek god Pan, and then of Caesar. There was a Caesar cult there too, and this I didn't put in there, but I do remember this from reading this. There there were some Jews who thought that this was the gate of hell. That there there were, and I don't know if that was. Uh, metaphoric or in this area, and if you get to the Matthew version of this, it says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So this is one of those examples of where we have a shorter version here in Mark. But where are we at? Here's our wonderful handy-dandy map. So they were right here, if you can see my little pointer, the Sea of Galilee's here. They were in Bethsaida when he healed, and then they go up here. Notice it's just outside of anything that the Israel usually goes into. So it goes outside of this. And then asked, who do I say that I am? I mean, remember he'd been up here too. Jesus always is, is often going to places that he's not supposed to, at least in people's eyes. Most people didn't go up there because it's pagan territory. You know, you know for us it's like going to Harlan. Or no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> it's but, but, you know, it... He goes up there, but again, why up there? You know, and I don't think Mark tells us, but I do think Matthew does. It's this idea that this was a pagan area and there's evil here. It has been for centuries, even millennia. Who do you say that I am? And, and who do people say that I am? That's a pretty benign question, right? And they give the popular things. That they, we already had this. Herod had his ideas back in chapter 6. You know, they say it's kind of interesting. They thought, you know, people tell him he's John the Baptist, he's Elijah, because if you remember at the very end of the prophetic books in the Old Testament, Elijah was supposed to come again. Prepare the way. Well, we, we get that mostly from John, but in all of the Gospels, that that was John the Baptist coming in the spirit of Elijah. So he's not that. He's not Elijah. And the others say one of the prophets. So they're getting this out there. But then, you know, he moves the discussion, doesn't he? Who do you say that I am? This is comes from conceptual to personal, doesn't it? It's like, well, let's philosophically talk about who Jesus is. Ultimately, Christianity is not about concepts, but about a person. You know, we miss that. I mean, I know it sounds so easy, doesn't it? I mean, if, say, if somebody asks you, I hope you'll answer, what's Christianity about? I just say Jesus. You can even say his last name if you want, Christ. Which is technically not his last name. But, but again, this is what it's about. If you, it's a person. It's always a person. And, and, and we miss that. doesn't mean it's not about concepts and other things, uh, access and all those, but it's, it's ultimately a person. And, and this is the most important question that any person ever answers. I don't know if you've studied world religions, but every religion deals with this guy. You have to. The Hindus have him in their pantheon of God. The Buddhists think he's one of the Buddhas. The Muslims have him virgin birth. Did you know the Muslims believe that? Sometimes the Muslims have a higher view of Isa than we do. They don't believe he was crucified. Uh, they do believe he'll come back and judge the living and the dead. So they have a, everybody has to deal with him. But this is not that hard of a question, but who should you get your information from about who he is or where? Should we just walk around and say, well, I think he's a, tree walking or whatever, I don't know, whatever you want to, 
a wandering sage that pets lambs and heals people arbitrarily. You know, I could just almost see God saying, why do I care what you think? You know, he'd probably say it nicer than that. But again, you know, one of my favorite verses in Job, and I have to be careful, I don't use it too often. Uh, but it's in Job 38 after 30 chapters of belly aching and trying to figure out why all this stuff was help happen happening to Job. God says, who is this that dons my counsel with words without wisdom? And that's kind of what we're, again, if you wanted to know who Jesus is, who, who would you ask? I might ask him. Well, he's not here. Well, he did talk a lot. And we do have it preserved. The Bible is not unclear, right? But he professes that Jesus is the Christ. He's saying he's the Messiah, which is a big thing to say. This is a big pivotal part in Mark. They finally figure this out. They're kind of thinking he was the Messiah. You know, he's been healing people a lot. Doesn't seem to sin much. Zero. He seems to be really bright. Prays really well. He can multiply food. He can stop storms and walk on water. Sounds like a Messiah to me. I mean, they're, they're fit, but yet they still don't completely get it. So you've got, again, we had this is a capitulation of the children's sermon, if you weren't listening. You know, the Christos. Christos is a Greek word that just means anointed one. Um, and he was prophesied in the Old Covenant in the, again, y'all can spit or not, depending if you want to say Messiah or Messiah. Um, you guys remember that movie, uh, The Passion of the Christ? Anybody see that? Yeah. Um, I had a whole thing of popcorn. I didn't touch it. It was the biggest waste of six bucks. <laughs> and that was back then. What's popcorn now? I don't know what it is in the movies. But, but it was very gory. It was very, but you hear that term because it's also an Aramaic term. They say it that way. That whole movie's in Aramaic, which is a sister language to Hebrew. You hear that a lot. It's Messiah. It's the way you pronounce the Messiah. But again, this is what they're after. You know, we just sang it, Jesus, Messiah, Christ. It's the same word. Uh, and it's not his last name. It's of the, the one who was promised. And Jesus, notice here, there are people teaching today from pulpits that say Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. I saw a couple of you go. It's like, I do. I even want to go more than that, you know. I mean, I don't know what Bible you're reading, but that seems fairly clear that he did claim that. Because uh, if you go into the Matthew version of this, what, what does he say? You know, well, good job. <laughs> Not, no, don't say that, you know. If somebody claims you're the Messiah, then say no. But Jesus, I think we can stay with. And you know his confession is God-given, and it's accepted because, again, Matthew's version of this, Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. You know, we don't know Simon's last name either. They didn't have last names, those surnames. That's kind of an English thing that we started doing. So I would be Brian Barr of David. You know, or we could be, I could be Brian et Avoca. <laughs> Brian of Avoca. Jesus of Nazareth. That's what they went by either where you were from, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, Simon Bar-Jonah. Jonah was his dad. Bar just means son of. Or sometimes they, they may go, what you do. Uh, we've got an uh, apostle called Simon the Zealot because that's kind of what he did. So. 
Brian the pastor. <laughs> Sounds a little arrogant, doesn't it? We better just stop that. No, just like, how about Bob the farmer? I like that. So. <laughs> He's back there. But, <laughs> but, the, but again, Simon Barjona, he's, he's using the, why not just Simon? Because he's, you're getting this. You know, it's kind of like you knew that when you were a kid. I knew I was fine if my mom said, Brian, don't do that. And I'm like, okay, okay. But Brian Keith Reiner? Uh-oh, now we're in trouble. Uh, Brian at Aboka? No, it wasn't that. But, but you know, he, this is for effect. You know, you, 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 same type of thing. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father in, who is in heaven. Isn't that cool? Kind of wonder what the Father's doing. This is kind of waiting for Jesus to pray during this time. Apparently doing more than that. Revealing himself. I mean, and normally we would say the Spirit would be doing this, right? But the Father, does. it's almost like they're working together. You notice? Um, they're all together. And again, it's per Peter, he's saying, good job, Peter. But he's also saying, you didn't get this on your own. And that's true for the Bible in general. It, we, I can show you all kinds of evidence that we have what we need and what we were supposed to get. Even atheists that study it understand that the text we have is what was supposed to be because we have too much evidence. But something more has to happen when you're going to answer that question, right? Who do you say that I am? It's one thing to say, well, it sounds like Jesus thinks he's the Christ and I have to follow him and blah, 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 blah. You can understand it objectively, but there's something that happens to change, you know, and this is the start of that. Um, the Father, the Spirit, these are spiritually discerned, as Paul said. The Messianic Son of Man is both divine and destined to suffer, and that's what we see uh, in, in the next piece. But we're wondering, he's saying, don't say anything to anybody, and I'm, this is possible that this is kind of an enacted parable. It's the idea that the blind man only started to see. These guys are just kind of starting to see, but it's not clear yet. So don't tell anybody yet. You know, it's kind of weird to say even today, isn't it? Somebody maybe comes to room D, which you can come if you have any questions about, your, you know, you want to be follow, uh, follow Jesus, we'll talk to you about that. You want a prayer, you just want to say hi and meet an elder. Uh, whatever you want to do, you can, you can go there. There's all kinds of, of ways to do that. But when you become a believer, you're not a theologian yet. Uh, not that you have to be one, but you just met somebody, right? It's okay to introduce, but if you're probably not going to be very equipped yet to tell people who Jesus really is. There's something that's happened in your heart. It could come from the Bible. It could come from somebody else's testimony. But notice here, we have Peter who's actually a fairly important person in the Bible, wrote a couple books, probably is the one who gave Mark the information for this one. And when he says, you're the Messiah, Jesus says, shut up. We got to listen to this until we know better. You don't want to go out there and give wrong ideas of Jesus. You know, In fact, I think if, if you're a new believer and you want to tell somebody about Jesus, just give them a Bible. <laughs> I'm not really sure how this all works, but I'm sure it's in here. You know, yeah, there's always ways to do that. doesn't mean you have to be a scholar, but you at least have to know who he is, and they don't know who he is yet. It's probably why he told the blind man that, because what would the blind man say? There's a healer. 
The guy came to heal people. Did he come to heal? Not, not mainly. 1 Corinthians 1, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. And this is what comes off of Peter's confession, starting in verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Does that verse make you think maybe Peter didn't quite understand who he was yet? Yeah. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That is a mouthful. There's a lot going on here, isn't there? Unfortunately for you, I'm only going to give you about six minutes. It's open book. You can always go back, right? In verse 31, he gives us a detailed account of what's going to happen. It's a prediction, and it, it happens just like he said. And again, I think it's because of Peter's incomplete view of who Jesus is that he has the audacity to rebuke Jesus. I wonder if we would have done the same. I don't know, but... I mean, Peter's probably think he's doing the right thing, but he doesn't understand who he's talking to. He knows he's the Christ. He obviously doesn't know he's God yet. Because when people encounter God in the Bible, they're usually not rebuking him. They're usually on the ground saying, don't hurt me, because he's so glorious. So this is where we have Peter rebuking him. And notice he turns to his disciples. They're all getting rebuked. Peter gets a lot. He's, he talks a lot, you know. He's like a pastor. and doesn't know when to shut up. You know. And I think the rest of them are getting the rebuke too. But we have this position in contemporary ideas about Jesus too. There's a, you know, ideologies out there that believe and teach that the cross of Christ is, is necessary for salvation, but it's not enough. You have to do more. That's out there a lot, isn't it? Is that what the Bible teaches? You know, you believe in Jesus and you got to do good things and I'm sure you got to get more money. I mean, that's, that's without saying, right? There's always stuff we add to it. It's what we call Jesus plus theology. Thank you for dying for me, but that's just not quite enough. You know, he's not sufficient. We have people that believe the teacher, their ideas about Jesus is somehow more valid than what the Bible. I know the Bible says this, but then let me tell you really how it is. You know, that's out there too, isn't it? I know the Bible just said that you've got to pick up your cross, but that's not what that means. That means that if you believe, you'll be healthy and you'll be wealthy and all things will be good. I know it doesn't say that, but don't listen to that. Listen to me. Of course, you had to ask the questions, the same question he asked. Who the heck are you? 
You know, that's kind of, you want to go with Peter or Jesus? You know, it's kind of, again, who do you say that I am makes a big difference. Does he get to tell us who he is or do we get to tell him who he is? You probably heard this before. It's kind of a pastorism. You know, God created all of humanity in his image and then we've been returning the favor ever since. We keep redefining God and what we want. I do it. We all do it. I mean, I pray to God sometimes and tell him he's got it wrong. Kind of a minor rebuke. Which Peter, this was not smart, but if I do it, it's really stupid because I've got the rest of the gospel. I know he knows what is best. And he's the one that's saying we have to do these things. And so that belief that's out there, that teaching that we have the power to dictate to God what he should do in our lives. I think verse 33 would be the one maybe you would reply with. Is this from heaven or is it out of the pit of hell? I think it's B. You know, we don't know exactly how Satan fell. You know, you can go to Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. If you, It looks like there's some poetry about Satan there. Um, hey, more assignment. Isn't that fun? Um, but a lot, a lot of it we know with pride. He thought he was more important than he really was. And that's what happens with us, you know. I've got the power. I'll just quote Jesus. You would have no power over me if it wasn't given to you from above. So we can so quickly set our minds on the things of man and not on the things of God. It's the old and current deception of Satan. What, what's the first line in the garden? You can always go back to the garden and figure all this stuff out. Right? It's Genesis 3. Go, go home and read that one too. Boy, we're getting a lot of reading this week. But boy, we'll have fun when we talk about it. What does Satan start off with? It wasn't like, you know, campaigning against him. He just said, really, God really say? Subtle. It's always subtle. And what's he playing into? Vanity. It's always vanity. You're more important than you think you are, Eve. And Adam, who's standing right behind her, supposed to be speaking up, being strong for his woman, <laughs> doesn't say a word. He just eats it too, you know. I agree she's probably a better cook, but you don't need everything. Not the thing you're supposed not to. But this is the deception. Remember, temptation will not be something you want to give in to if it's not tempting. I've said this before. Why is it not a tree of lard? People say, well, I like lard. It's like, what's a, what's a metaphor? You like mar lard? You're weird. So it's shh. Certainly wasn't a tree of rhubarb, right? <laughs> but look, in, in these verses, Jesus teaches what the cost of being a disciple. Um, it's, it's in Luke e even more, but deny yourself. Where's that in the health and wealth gospel? Deny yourself. No, that tells you you're more important than everything else. That you're you the dictate. You dictate this. You must put God first, trusting Him to be wiser and holier than you are, which is just logical, if not biblical. Take up your cross, and we won't go too far in this, but it, it's don't, we kind of use that idiom a little off, I think. It's a metaphor about the level of self-denial you needed to truly follow Jesus. If I die on a cross, which I'm really hoping not to, it doesn't do you a hill of beans good, really, but Jesus died and did. You don't need to do it again. It's the idea 
What was his path that God gave him? Well, God's going to give you one too. Well, follow it. Follow me, which means want what Jesus wants. And he wants, he wants you to understand this. This doesn't preach as good as follow Jesus and you'll get a Lamborghini. I realize that, but this is the truth. Always coupled with follow me and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. It's not just pick up your cross. You know, people say, well, everybody has a cross to bear. It's like, well, that's not what this means. Actually, only one person had a cross to bear, and he did it. He did it really well. You don't need to do it again. It's a metaphor. There's a possibility of suffering. You see this in First Peter, who, again, has been in here. The, it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. That's a great promise, isn't it? And then in 35 and 37, he talks about a lost soul versus a saved soul. The primary focus is to be part of God's kingdom, the access. You get to be part of the family, part of the kingdom. Don't we pray that quite often? Your kingdom come. Your will be done only in heaven? No, on earth too. Well, didn't know there was requirements. You know, it's supposed to permeate all of your life. And think about how foolish, and I know we all do this, how foolish to gain a few years of supposed happiness in this life at the expense of eternal separation from the king of the universe. I mean, they, they said that when we, uh, you know, good football thing, you know. When you're lifting weights, no pain, no gain. You know, sometimes you do things, even in this life, that is hard for reward later. It's the same thing here. You know, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. So, verse 37, for what can a man give in return for his soul? Nothing. That's why it's called a gift. You're not going to do anything to, that, that all of a sudden God says, well, I've never seen that before. I'm impressed. You're much better than Moses, David, you know, Miriam, Ruth, all those, you know, you're, you finally got the perfect person, you know. No, I, you can't give him anything. He doesn't need anything. He offers it as a gift. He gives grace. That's what we need. Proud of trusting in Christ versus ashamed of him. This is kind of how this ends. True followers of Jesus want what he wants and seek to honor him. How we follow, think of, and treat Jesus determines our eternal destiny. I mean, I hope each one of you, when you die, Jesus says, you know, this is, this is somebody I know, Father. That's what we want, right? That's the main thing. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I will not be ashamed of you if you're not ashamed of me. And what Jesus says about you in your life and how you spend your time and how you think and how you act is going to determine uh, what happens to you when Jesus comes in his glory. It's, it's just faith, you know. And then if you have it, then you act like you have it. And then when you screw up, I kind of end with this. I should have put it on there, but this is a good one. This is in First John. This is kind of a good way to lead the Christian life. Do not sin. So if you're wondering if you should, no. Do not sin. I don't know if you knew that was a goal, but it is a goal. Do not sin. But if you do, you have an advocate 
in Christ Jesus. Grace. Let us pray. Father, as we hear these words of Jesus, it uh, must have been tough being Peter and those guys trying to figure this out, but we know they did figure it out, and, and that came from you uh, to Peter, and then we get to be a kind of fly on the wall to hear what he said. So each one of us should and, and develop that relationship we have with you through your Son and by the power of your Spirit. May we want to get to know you better through your word, through worship, through prayer, through service. May we always remember the privilege of being in the family because of the gift that you've given us and us receiving it. We pray in Jesus' name.